Bada bang. Okay, cool. So we're rolling. Alright guys, how's it going? This is Dan Fagella with Tech Emergence. I'm lucky enough to be here with a co-founder from the Dallas Angel Network, Mr. Sammy Abdullah. Sammy, how are you, brother? Good, Daniel. How are you? Doing well. Glad to be able to catch up. I knew we'd reach out a little bit ago and finally found a time to be able to, to talk. And uh, before recording here, I was uh, speaking with you about kind of the way that you guys are structured and how various angel networks are structured. I know a lot of the folks who are going to be tuned into this are curious as to you know how they'd interact with an angel network. I think you know the term VCs kind of is more buzzy in the in the tech space, but most most people or many folks are starting off with more of the the angel side of things. I know you guys are traditionally you had said a five hundred one c three, but you're also moving towards a fund. What are those various angel structures, and how is their interaction with an entrepreneur differ depending on which one kind of they embody? Yes, for an entrepreneur. I mean, there's all kinds of angel structures. It could be a 501c3. It can be a for-profit entity. It can be an entity that invests out of a fund, which is what we're moving to. It could be an entity which the angels invest, and then there's a sidecar fund, which fills in whatever gap the angels don't pick up. I think for the entrepreneur, the key distinguishment is understanding what kind of a group you're dealing with. It's not so much how the group is structured, but really what the group's reputation is and, and how they operate. For instance, there are a number of a number of angel groups that are for-profit groups that charge the entrepreneur a fee to present or a fee to submit an application. These aren't exactly, or they're not necessarily bad groups. They have overhead, they have costs, and that's one way that they cover them. But it's just important for the entrepreneur to understand what that group's track record is and whether or not he can expect to get any sort of traction with that group. There are groups out there that charge that are great. Uh, you, you pay them to pitch and you've got a room of you know, 50 to 100 or more plus angels in there. There are other groups where you pay them to pitch and two angels might show up. I've been to both types of meetings. Uh, so it's important for the angel to, or sorry, the entrepreneur to understand when he's asked to pay, what he's paying for. Yep. Um, in regards to groups that don't make you charge, that's always great because it's free, it's just your time. Uh, and that's kind of the model that we had traditionally always gone with. Uh, but there are some downsides to that model for the entrepreneur. Namely, he's got to herd the angels himself. So if he makes a pitch to a room of, let's just call it 50 angels, uh, and 10 of those angels or 12 of those angels like his deal, all of a sudden that entrepreneur is probably going to find himself answering 12 different sets of questions uh, dealing with 12 different angels and their own timelines. Yeah. And, you know, it's not uncommon for the angel that's writing the smallest check to have the most questions. So while it can be a great format, and it's the format that we traditionally had, there is a downside in that for the entrepreneur, it's really a cumbersome task. Uh, great organizations, we were one, and we technically we still are one ourselves, uh, but that's just something that the entrepreneur needs to understand going in, is that he's going to have to corral those angels himself. Uh, investing out of the fund model is a bit more unique, and it's, it's the model we're pursuing. In that sort of a model, the entrepreneur typically deals with one point person. Uh, in the case of the Dallas Angel Network, it is me. So I ask all the questions. I set the timeline. Uh, I structure the deal, and then I go to a board that approves the deal and all of our angels 
invest, so to speak, because it is in a fund structure. Um, it's a great model in that it streamlines the process for the angel. Presumably, he's dealing with somebody that's professional, that's looked at deals and that's done deals before. Um, and there's only one point of contact, which uh, I think the benefit of that will really shine through once you've gone through, you know, trying to invest with a fund versus trying to invest with a room full of angels with different plans. Uh, so those, I, I think, are, from an entrepreneur's perspective, the things to kind of be aware of when you are going to pitch the, the various types of angel groups that are out there. Cool, okay. Um, so yeah, so if, if you're not dealing with a fun situation the way you're articulating it here is, you know, you might have, I mean, it sounds like potentially folks who have you know, a different idea of maybe where your company would go, like you had mentioned, a different set of questions, maybe maybe different time frames that they have in their mind for how long they, uh, you know, would want to hold things or go with things. And, and so it sounds like there might be a lot of friction there with that much push and pull um, outside of an organizational structure of some sort. When you're dealing with an organization that has a little bit more structure, such as a for-profit entity, yeah. which has a full-time guy, or when you're dealing with a fund, um, you just don't have as many voices in the room that you have to listen to, answer to, and educate about your company. Yeah. Whereas when you're dealing with a group that is not for profit, they probably don't have the funds to have a guy on full time, which yep. is what we were. Um, it's a little trickier in that unless somebody steps up and spearheads the deal, you're going to have to communicate with multiple angels. Yeah, yeah. Numerous guys. It's just a, it's a it's a free process, which is great, but it's a little bit cumbersome. Uh, it's a little it's a little more challenging. Yeah, yeah. I can I can see uh, very easily how that'll become more than time consuming, especially with different time zones and juggling that many folks with agendas, etc. Um, and I know from again just checking out your website and not not uh, as a policy, not tremendously different from some other angel networks and, and other folks who are involved at this level, um, you guys aim to find people who have some semblance of funding, with, you know, significant enough uh, friend and family funding uh, to get things off the ground to be able to establish the traction, which we're going to talk about in a second here. Um, how are most of these folks going about? I mean, are most of the people that you're seeing now, is it really just, you know, calling the wealthiest family members they know? Is it uh, you know, crowdfunding stuff. Are they self-funding it many times? People with maybe decent jobs that got to tuck a lot away and they have enough sitting in the bank to be able to work with. Um, how are how are people getting their hands on the funds that, um, you know, have taken their project far enough to talk to you guys, basically, take it up to the angel level? It's a mix. I think, you know, yeah, I, I think you did a, a nice job there in your question of kind of bifurcating the difference between the angel level and uh, really the idea level. Yeah. A lot of angels want to invest in something that's at least uh, in the beta stage or past product development, or in our case, we like to look at stuff that's you know just about to break revenue or post-revenue. Um, in terms of getting capital and getting that friends and family around, it's a blend. I mean, I, I think you named off some of the big ones. Some guys are uh, have some money saved up from a corporate job that they previously had. Some guys have the rich uncle. Some guys might do an accelerator program that gives them $25,000. Ah, okay. It is a blend. For us, from an angel group perspective, we like to see that somebody out there trusted you 
was their money. Um, somebody believed in you. Ah, okay. And so it's more of a litmus test hmm. than, uh, you know, than anything else. It, it, it just helps us. I mean, if, no, if, you're, if nobody, if your friend didn't throw in a few grand, I mean, if nobody backed you, then it, it, it's either a bit of a flag that you as an individual might have a character issue or perhaps we're missing, or perhaps you just haven't been aggressive enough. Um, it's hard to ask people for money. It's hard to ask friends oh, yeah. for money. It's hard oh, to yeah. ask family members for money. I mean, going to your uncle and asking him to put, you know, 10 grand or 20 grand or even more into your company, that's a tough conversation to have. So when we meet entrepreneurs that have had those conversations, that have, uh, you know, kind of muddled through those, uh, it's, it shows a level of initiative and it shows a level of commitment on the entrepreneur's part that, hey, he, he's really he's really betting it all because losing your uncle's money or your parents' money can make Thanksgiving very, very uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so it's always nice to see that an entrepreneur really believes in himself and has, you know, has taken on somebody else's money before asking a stranger. It's easy to ask strangers for money. It's very hard to ask people that you know and that you love. Huh, actually, oh, wow. That's that's a very interesting way to put it. Uh, so for you guys, it's in addition to being very, the very clear and, and blatantly obvious side of things is, hey, you know, I don't want to be the first, uh, you know, thousand bucks that ends up getting put into this thing. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You'd mentioned the idea level as opposed to the angel level. But also for you, it's a little bit of, you know, kind of a psychological poke and prod or, or just looking at the level of commitment, the level of juice that's being put into this thing, you know, have they manned up, quote unquote, to the level of, you know, asking the uncle, to the level of, of pooling, uh, pooling something with their friends um, because that shows that they're kind of all in, which maybe gives you guys something to rest on in terms of, okay, you know, th this guy's got all his chips on the table here or other people, other people's chips on the table. Right, very much so. And it's not, it doesn't need to be, a hundred thousand. Uh, it can be a few thousand. It just needs to be something that, as you said, kind of uh, shows that the person manned up and you know really does have a belief in the, in the business. That's cool. Okay, I, I really like that distinction. I think that's important for entrepreneurs to understand. So if someone's funding it themselves um, with, let's say, let's say they have a business that they've sold and they're getting paid every month. Um, let's say that they have. Um, you know, an online business that they spend a couple days a week on that's still bringing in, you know, a lot more than rent and ramen is costing them, and they're dumping that into the company as well. Uh, for you guys, that money thing is maybe cool because you can see the money, but would you in the back of your mind still want to wanna maybe see, okay, you know, uh, how, how else can we kind of test his gusto? How much can, it, can we test he's really all in because he hasn't asked for other people's money? You know, if they don't have other people's dough in the mix, does that set up maybe not a total red flag, but is that a consideration for you guys? It's not a red flag. It's just something. It's a data point. It's something to think about. For instance, um, we'll have entrepreneurs. You know, some entrepreneurs don't know people that have extra money lying around, and that's quite all right. Those entrepreneurs, you want to see them either put in savings, maybe take some money from a side gig, as you said, or we all have credit cards these days. Yeah, buddy. And even though it's not, uh, it might not be the preferred choice to take on debt to fund an enterprise. When an angel sees that a guy, you know, has credit card debt, he's taking out a second mortgage, uh, 
he's really finding ways to bootstrap himself, it, it's it's compelling, uh, and it and it allows you to check that box of okay, we do have a guy that's all in who really is betting it all because he believes in it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Cool. So so really, no matter where the the money's coming from, having it there is important, but also. Uh, the gusto, the chutzpah, what you guys want to see behind the money is as if not more important. And that's interesting to think about whether you're funding something yourself or, or whether you're, you're asking other people for money too. So cool. Um, another point that I had seen on your site, which uh, some angels uh, and, and folks are, I imagine, looking for a little bit more of this than others. It seems as though you guys are leaning a little bit more in this direction of really aiming to see some semblance of of marketplace traction already. Um, I know there's different, you know, shades of gray, so to speak, on what marketplace traction is. I wanted you to kind of explain um, what what precisely you mean by it, and then maybe just for the the sake of the folks tuning in, um, explain a little bit of or give an example, maybe of, of a company um, named or unnamed who was there and was very clearly there, and, and it made sense, and one that maybe thought it was there, but you really didn't think they were. So I wanted you to be able to kind of clarify that marketplace traction concept. So the traction concept is not a requirement that you'll see from every angel. Yeah, it's yeah, for sure. That we like to see, and really, that kind of shows our shortcoming in some ways, in that we recognize that we are not the smartest guys ever. Our crystal ball is as cloudy as anybody else's. <laughs> so when somebody comes and says, hey, I have a great idea. I think the marketplace is going to love this. We want to believe that, but having some sort of traction, whether it's pre-orders or actual sales, uh, it just allows us all to confirm what we believe. Uh, there's plenty of stories out there of companies that had a great product or service um, that we thought was going to be big, but never was. Yeah, just uh, so the market traction is just important to just, once again, it's, it's kind of the gut check to say, okay, there really is a market for this. And then as well, it's important to see that somebody somewhere paid you for your product, not <laughs> only to see that it's accepted, but to see that you could execute the transaction. Yeah. Um, and it kind of feeds into your next point in that ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody has an idea. Yeah. It, angels do not invest in ideas so much as they invest in execution. And so seeing somebody that has achieved uh. some level of market traction, whether that's getting out of a pilot stage, orders, revenue, etc., shows the execution component is there. Um, and that is very important and, and very much something that we are looking for when we say market traction. Cool. Okay. So, and and you know, to an extent, um, you know, it also seems to tie back into the whole gusto and commitment thing, where you know, and I really like that term. I don't know if that's a common one, uh, but angels invest in execution. Um, I, I think that's a, a pretty apt way of putting it as well. Where hey, if you have marketplace trans, uh, traction, not only does that mean you know you had mentioned it yourself, you know, the crystal ball is pretty cloudy here. Not only does that at least validate that point, check that box off. But at the same time, hey, you had the uh, you know the gall to go out there to ask for money to, to make a sale, you know whether it was online, offline, nose to nose, whatever it was, you know we we actually have something uh, going here on that side. So again, it's proof of execution, proof of of pushing the idea into market themselves rather than you guys hoping they'll have that ability later on. Right, right. Okay. You know, it's funny. We we will look for companies sometimes that have. Uh, from the execution perspective, 
a guy that's very sales oriented. I mean, I love meeting the entrepreneur that says, when I say, all right, how did you get your first book of business, your first customer? And the answer is I cold called. Yeah, buddy. Or, uh, you know, I just, I, I grind. And that's what you want to see. You want to see the sales guy, or, or at least that mentality of uh, someone that's aggressive and that, you know, they might fall on their face. Execution is not going to be flawless, but they're pushing hard. Uh, so that's very important to us. And angels are, are very much investing in execution over ideas. I mean, guys will ask us all the time to sign NDAs because they say, oh, I've got this incredible idea. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Our response is always, we don't sign NDAs for a multitude of reasons, but one of which is we don't really care about the idea. We care about your ability to execute. Exactly, yep. Yeah, and I guess, and that's also, you know, potentially a sign of sort of, you know, an overvaluation of the idea in and of itself, which which can be potentially dangerous for someone who believes that, you know, the idea in and of itself is so brilliant that it ought to be bottled up, you know, lest somebody else takes it and, you know, becomes a billionaire. You know, I, I would, I know we're about, we're kind of pivoting topics here. Oh, that's fine. In regards, in regards to NDAs, you know, I, I would highly recommend that as an entrepreneur, you do not ask for them. Angel groups will not sign them. Uh, they, they will sign them when you are in a ladder or I should say later stage of diligence, but right off of the bat, it just shows uh, just a, a lack of understanding of what angel groups, VC, anybody that's investing capital will do. Yep, big time. Okay. Um, and, and the uh, second point here um, is sort of the, the notion of a plan of exit. Obviously, if someone's going to you know an angel group, um, for the most part, the folks who are putting their money in are looking to have it out at some sort of a uh, an understood semblance of a time frame, you know, what things might realistically look like. Again, there's a million ways of understanding that, and of course, your your fellow's angel group may, uh, you know, have, have some of its own particular likings in that in that department. Um, but how, how do you mean by a, a clear plan of exit? What do you guys like to see? You know, maybe again, uh, a, a real anecdotal example of a company who really hit the nail on the head uh, in terms of having that plan together. And you could see that. Maybe someone else who thought they did but really didn't. Um, give me an idea that that uh, clear uh, clear exit plan sort of idea as well. Yeah, I guess let me address the whole kind of exit topic. Sure. It's a big one in the angel community. Um, and that is, a number of angels invest in companies, and everybody thinks, look, if you go into an angel investment, you need a seven, eight, nine-year hold. Um, the reality is most angels are not super angels. They're guys with some extra money lying around, and they really don't have a seven- or eight-year time frame. Nobody wants to be illiquid for that long. So uh, unless you're in a company that's you know, called Facebook or Twitter, and you're about to be an IPO, and the, the paper wealth is growing tremendously. Yep. So this idea of a seven- or eight-year-old hold is really antiquated, and it's not one that fits with most angels' profiles. Uh, that said, a lot of companies, what happens is they don't necessarily end up being zeros. They end up being zombies. And the zombie risk is what will really sink you as an angel. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the typical profile of a zombie is a company that got off the ground, it's got sales, it is not hitting projections, but the entrepreneur is happy. The entrepreneur is collecting a salary, he 
He's got employees. He enjoys going into work every day. It's probably something he's passionate about. You know, a sale is really not that compelling for him. So why would he sell? He'd just prefer to kind of work this job that he's created for himself. Yeah. The problem with that is the angel never realizes an exit. So what we look for is a clear path to exit. In one case, uh, the clear path was that the entrepreneur no longer owned a majority. The majority was owned by a number of investors. In that case, you know, we could see that, okay, this entrepreneur had, had given, even though he owned the largest piece of the company, the investors combined owned more than he did. Yep. So it made us very comfortable that when push came shove, if it was time to sell this thing and, and you know, this thing was at risk of being a zombie, that the investors would vote for a sale. That made us very comfortable that an exit would happen at the appropriate time. Uh-huh. And uh, some of our angels ended up investing in that particular company. Uh, Another way to do it, you know, we'll often meet entrepreneurs that say, I want to be the CEO of this thing. I want to run this company forever. And that's a very scary answer. So sometimes it is necessary to structure an exit whereby you could say something um, such as a redemption right. Uh, I know redemption rights have been um, uh, an evil word in angel investing and VC investing for many years, but... Uh, in our view, they are coming back, and they're coming back because the zombie risk is as prevalent as ever, and angels just can't handle um, sitting in a company for eight or nine years and never realizing an exit. So if an angel does ask an entrepreneur for some sort of a option to redeem in year three or year four, subject to the company not hitting you know, projections within, say, 70% or 60%, that is not necessarily an unusual or out of line ask in our view. Got it. Okay. Um, and yeah, that, so that's interesting too because I imagine you you have seen some folks who've come in and said, "Hey, you know, to be honest, I I, I don't see myself hopping out of this project. I see this as a really purpose driven thing. So no matter how how it goes down, you know, I'm going to be chasing down the IPO, whatever the case may be. For you guys, you know, the likelihood therein is lower. You know, you you'd uh, for the most part, an angel would like to see something, you know, flipped uh, for a pretty good upside of everybody involved and start investing in other things and not not remain illiquid, as you had mentioned. Um, how, how should someone who feels that committed or, or really believes that they're going to Zuckerberg it up, uh, you know, how, how should they be approaching or speaking about that topic with angels? You know, certainly not to mislead them into thinking that he's doing anything other than that if that's really where his heart is, but at the same point, putting it in terms or in ways or making it understandable and digestible for folks like yourself? Every entrepreneur should go into the conversation and into the business thinking they're going to Zuckerberg it up, so to speak, right? Yeah. I mean, you want to invest in guys that just think they're going to dominate the market. It's interesting, you know, guys will go to you and say, well, if we just get 1% of the market share, we're worth X. Well, 1% not domination. I want to meet guys that think that they're going to own the market. So every entrepreneur should have that attitude, and that is, that's what an angel wants to see. It is not a turnoff by any means to hear a guy say that or to hear a guy say that, you know, he is, he wants to grow the company to the, just the biggest thing that anyone's ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, from an entrepreneur's perspective, I think I would just encourage 
encourage them to be open because there is no way around it. Uh, the entrepreneur wants to grow the company. He wants to do it for many, many years. The angel wants to be along for the ride. And frankly, the angel will be okay with being in a company for eight years plus, but it needs to be one that's building a tremendous amount of wealth on paper. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, at some point, there's either a monstrous sale or there is an IPO. Those Nobody has a problem with being in those kinds of companies eight or nine years. Got it. But angels have a problem with being in a company that muddles along and it really isn't worth a whole lot, or maybe it's worth the investment, or maybe it's worth two or three X eight years down the road. Guys want to get out of that. So I would just encourage the entrepreneur to be open structurally to something whereby there is a redemption in year three or year four, and that redemption is based on hitting projections, or really, I should say, missing projections by X percent. Uh, in a lot of ways, angels love that, because first, it does give them the, the kind of the exit that they need yeah. if it's appropriate, yep. and then second, it makes the entrepreneur stand behind the projection. Um, so you can't just throw out something that's extravagant. You have to really say, okay, I believe in this, and if I miss this thing by 70%, all of a sudden, the angels come into majority voice and, you know, can move to sell the company, so to speak. Um, so I would just encourage the entrepreneur to be very open about his intentions, about his goals, and also to be open to the angels' needs, which are to realize an exit possibly before the entrepreneur would like to exit. Yep. Um, so, okay, maybe just to make the, the concept more tangible as we wrap things up here, um, I, I really like that explanation. I, I think it makes a lot of sense that angel investors wouldn't want a guy who says, you know, hey, you know, if, if, we, could even, if we could even just do this, you know, you want to see somebody who's, who has the gall, as you've been talking about before, to, you know, explode a company, to be at the guy at the helm for that long, driving that thing forward. Um, what what might be an example of a redemption clause? You know, maybe again an, an unnamed example that maybe you've even been involved in of something you set up with an entrepreneur who had that kind of a mindset or, or something that you guys worked into uh, a deal. How how might that work? That pan out in real time as an example? Yeah, I'll tell you the last one we did. So cool. the last redemption clause we did said that in year four, if the company has not within 70% of projected revenue, the company needs to find a way to redeem our investment at eight times what we invested. So let's just do a round number. If we invested a million, we want to check for eight million to go away. Yep. In the event that the entrepreneur is unable or unwilling to redeem us at an 8x, then we would receive enough board seats so that we have majority control of the board. At that point, what would realistically happen is we would engage an investment bank to sell the company and get whatever we can for it. Uh, so that is structurally an example of how a redemption right might work. The 8X, you know, there's a variety of ways to come up with what that number is. Uh, the way we think about that is whenever we are looking at a business we always think, man, we, we want a 20X. We go into every business hoping For that in the management case, we're going to receive a, a 20X return on our money. We do that because if the business ultimately doesn't return a 20X and re returns something more like 10X, you know, we're still not upset. A 10X is still a great return. 
yep. for an angel investment given the risk profile. Yep. We go ahead and knock it down 2x to 8x to give the entrepreneur uh, a bit of a break. So that's the kind of the formula as to how we get to 8x. In regards to getting the 70% of revenue, that number is negotiable, uh, or at least more negotiable. You know, some guys might say 60%, some guys might say 70%, some guys might say 90 uh, It just depends on what your projection really looks like. And obviously, you know, if an entrepreneur is very worried and starts to kind of push back and say, ah, let's do 50% or 40%, well, then all of a sudden the angel begins to question the projection. Yeah. So it really is a very nice... Uh, uh, honesty check, so to speak, both on the projections, but it also gives that angel the structure he needs. So that is the way a redemption right might work. Cool. Okay, nice. Yeah, I really like the tangible example. That really helps folks kind of understand it, and it's cool for me to kind of be able to see it through your eyes as well. Sammy, I, I more than appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day of hustle bustling between deals to be able to break things down a bit for tech emergence. Um, where can folks go to, to learn a little bit more about you guys? DallasAngelNetwork.com is our website and cool. we're always open to receiving email. Sammy at Dallas Angel Network is my personal email. More than happy to meet people and take questions and meet entrepreneurs. Cool. Sammy, again, thank you so much for being able to join us today and I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Daniel, thank you so much. Cool, brother. Nice. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.